You're listening to Cinema Red Pill, a movie podcast in Uganda, and I'm Sharon. And today we're going to speak about Usman Sembene. And I have five other people along with me to talk about his movies and his legacy as an African filmmaker. I have uh, my recurring contributors, Timothy, Joel, and Nick. And for the first time, I have Gary, who's also a Ugandan filmmaker. And on call, I have Oscar. So I'll have the two new people introduce themselves. Let me start with Gary. Gary, first talk a bit. Gary Mgisha, filmmaker, dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do and your interest in African cinema, your background and all? Sure. Uh, hello there from the UK. My name is Oscar Harding. I run the African cinema subreddit on reddit um within our first 24 hours we became the fifth most popular subreddit on the internet um so i've been involved with african cinema for the last couple of years um in terms of uh the academics of it and the history and uh you know huge fan of sam ben oh okay anything about the personal work you've been doing so I'm also uh, I'm also a filmmaker. Um, in the past, I've worked on a Jordanian film called Thebe, which was Oscar nominated two years ago for the best foreign language film. Um, I'm also involved in the distribution and marketing for feature films here in the UK. Okay, okay, that's great. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Sembene's documentary first, and with that, we'll be able to talk about the man himself. As a filmmaker, Africa's the father of African cinema, as they call him, and his work that he has done. So, a bit about him, he's Senegalese, in case anyone doesn't know. And yesterday, all of us here, actually, watched the film, Sembene, the documentary, because it's been filming this weekend. They've been screening it this weekend in all African countries. So, all, they said all, isn't it all? How does an ordinary man rise from a laborer and dock worker to become the father of African cinema? How does an ordinary man do extraordinary things? An ordinary man doesn't. Usman Semben spent 40 years using any means necessary to make movies that shared tough truths, exposed injustice, and imagined a better world. This is our story about the filmmaker who, against enormous odds, reclaimed Africa's stories. This is our story of Semben. So, um... I'll have Joel speak first about the film. Awesome. Um, so Sembene was made by uh, by Sembene's autobiographer. Yeah. What was his name? Samba. Samba. Gajijo. Yeah. Samba. Um, so yeah, this was this was a great film for uh, someone who just entered film. I know he co-directed, but for first film, this was really good. So basically, for, for me, this was my introduction, I would say, to like Sembene's personal life and history. I mean, I'd seen some of his movies, but aside from that, I didn't really know that much about him. So it was nice to see the genesis. His, uh, his first film, Borom Sarat, which is my favorite of his really? films. Yeah, that was, for me, that was the pinnacle. 
films um, and he had such a such a great eye such a great uh, grasp of film language um, because like just watching Borom's right for it for instance it manages sort of encapsulate all the struggles of like the working class African man mm-hmm. I'll say a highlight for me was uh, there's a certain section of the movie where they tackle his uh, dark side we sort of screws these young filmmakers over and takes money that was intended for them to make a movie. And I loved sort of how unapologetic he was. He says this thing of how he will, he will sleep with the devil mm-hmm. or something to make a film. He had such uh, determination and did a lot of questionable things. Like that, that last film about the mutilation, what he did to that kid. Yeah, that was, that was kind of difficult to watch, but... I sort of admired his <laughs> so determined, like he was willing to go into hellfire to like get this film done, and yeah, I don't think we have really people cut from the same cloth as he was today. Not that many. He was a special kind of <laughs> badass. So <laughs> yeah, this yeah this film again is very straightforward. I think under normal circumstances, I would have thought it was a basic documentary. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, because it does it doesn't really like focus on a particular aspect or angle. It's just Semben in broad strokes. But for someone like me, I'm getting an introduction. It was a great introduction and I think it really tried its best to capture his entire legacy and I think it did a good job it overall. Is. Yeah. Okay. Uh Oscar, your thoughts on the documentary? Well, I'd agree uh, with a lot of what's just been said. Sam Ben's a badass. Um, I found the examination of his dark side particularly interesting, how he screwed over one of his protégés over the making of Camp de Chiroy. But he does justify it. And one thing that I've learned in the last few years, learning about African cinema, which a lot of people both inside and outside of the continent aren't aware of, is that it's very much the realm of the individual you need someone as strong-willed um as sam ben to really get a film made and to define a country and its culture so african cinema from what i've seen and from what i've learned there's not really collectives or movements of different artists and filmmakers everyone is sort of out there on their own not seeking help and making the boldest film they can And as was just said, there's not really been many African filmmakers cut from the same cloth since Sam Ben to emerge. So I think his shadow looms not just over Senegal, but the entire continent's cinema up to this day, which is both uh, a help and a hindrance, I think, to African filmmakers. And um, it's a very comprehensive documentary. I think it's a great introduction. I don't think it's a particularly cinematic documentary despite the stock footage it's not like the imposter or the thin blue line where it feels like a a great film as well as a great documentary Uh, another thing that benefits it is uh samba samba kajigo's uh voiceover Uh, i wish the guy would do more voiceover stuff he's got a very good voice but uh i think the animations work as well i think overall this is one of the strongest documentaries i've seen in quite a while it might have just benefited perhaps from feeling a little bit more cinematic 
but otherwise I'd recommend this to anyone. It's very accessible. I like how uh, it doesn't shy away from the flaws of Sam Ben. So it's not just a, a fan documentary. There's quite a few of those around and they're not particularly good. So I think this is a solid film that everyone should see, especially if you know nothing about African cinema or about Sam Ben. Okay, thanks. Uh, Nicholas, what do you think? All right, Usman Semben. There's uh, something interesting about this movie that, from my own personal perspective, I think should be mentioned, is that a lot of <laughs> Africans don't know about African cinema, yep. including those that are interested in cinema like myself. <laughs> I just found out about Semben yesterday evening while I was watching this documentary. <laughs> and... It was uh, a bit of a shock, not, not a shock as such, because I wasn't invested in African cinema, that there were these people, these people that were going out there and making a difference in the film industry. I thought Africa was a land of practicalities, and uh, a thing like cinema, or the arts are not a practicality. You can't really make a living off of something like that in a land like this. Mm -hmm. So to find out about a man like Usman Semben, it's interesting. It's an interesting experience. So for one thing, that's where this documentary struck me. The second thing was how they portrayed Usman Semben as a man. He was a man of, as I said many times yesterday, a man of contradictions. He, he was a living contradiction, like most of us are. He, he, he would say one thing and live another, <laughs> and it's reflected in his art and eventually in his life. It was full of bitter ironies. I remember the time they mentioned when he moved to uh, Paris. Yeah, Marseille. Yeah. Yes, and uh, he was he was going around. He was a rock star now. People are appreciating New his York. work. It was New York. It was when New York. York. New York. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. It was New York, yeah. and people are starting to appreciate his work. And they said this single but very bitter line: "He was more appreciated there than he ever was I in know, Africa." That's and it's true for any African artist, you can ask anyone here, it's true. Every African artist is almost always more appreciated anywhere else other than Africa. And seeing as it's Sunday, I may as well hit you with a biblical line. <laughs> John 4.44, it says uh, a prophet is ill-appreciated in his own home. And that's Jesus who said that. So I think he knew what he was talking about. And it was the same for Usman Semben. And uh, these contradictions of his, him betraying his own protégés, as was mentioned before, and him betraying his own family, as his son put out in the documentary, everything about him saying that he's doing this for Africa, but what about your own Africans? What about your own friends? What are you doing for them? Nothing. It, it was brought out in a very stark contrast, as is the nature of his films, as was in this documentary. The documentary, like uh, was mentioned, was very straightforward. It was a straight shoot. That's the case with most African films. It's a straight shoot. This guy's here. She's there. This is the reality. You deal with it, and it's mostly in a graveyard face. I don't know. That's what was happening with this man's life, as was portrayed in this documentary. And at the end, he went. He was going blind, yeah. <laughs> which is like a bitter fate of. Uh, of a, of, a, of a filmmaker. It's, it's tragic when a person dealing in the visual arts loses his own sight. 
and makes a movie about it was female genital mutilation yeah. and then he hits us with another great contradiction <laughs> he, he 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 basically psychologically tortures this young girl she doesn't look any older than 10 yeah. and even in the document even with the stock footage it was hard to look at yeah. but that was this man he was a great man he was visionary yeah. and powerful <laughs> in, 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 in a way I'm glad to have seen it and that's all I have to say about this guy Timothy? I'm, I'm, I'm going straight okay yeah. uh, <clears throat> I think everything has already been said at least the main stuff about the film but the part which interested me the most was uh, the part where I think they're talking about Sembene the rebel yeah. Uh, so uh, his, this period of his after uh, the uh, Polish, uh, independence, when they're talking about Africa had lost for basically all its heroes, mm-hmm. and so basically Sembene was like this guy who was there cri- making, critiquing soci- African society in general, African governance. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen about three of his films. I've seen Borom Sarit, Black Girl. I've seen Hala. Yeah. Yeah, and Hala is is a really good film because whatever is there, I think I was looking at Sharon yesterday, was saying still rings true today. Everything from the beginning to the end. Everything with the government and the corruption and how basically our leaders are still puppets. Yeah, yeah I, I really appreciated that from, I think that's my favorite Sembene film. Yeah, so again, another thing I think I saw from the documentary uh, was yeah, Sebene was a great filmmaker, but uh, I read in this book, Questioning African Cinema, where Bekolo spoke that in Africa, you only see the old director and the young one. Like, you rarely see that progression. Like, there's Sebene, then there's everyone else. You know, like, even right now in Africa, the yeah. filmmakers, there's like one filmmaker who's known throughout the country, then there are all the others who are trying to... Yeah, yeah so I don't know, I feel, yeah, as much as he's uh, a person who was uh, the father of African cinema, uh, I feel probably I don't. They said I, I didn't say anything that the person who he stole the the, the money from uh, Diop was called Boris Diop. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if he made any other film after uh, Camp the Arroyo, that whole saga. Yeah. yeah but I feel probably Sembene should have done a bit more because if someone with that kind of reach, you know, you're hanging out with Orson Welles, you're hanging out with uh, Gordon Parks, all those people, you should at least probably have more proteges. Like, unlike someone like Jean Rouge, who is well known, all, m- most of these people, the Omar Ugandas, all went on to become legendary African filmmakers in their own right. So, yeah. as much as he was great, again, it brought to light his other side, which I also I, I had I'd heard about the whole thing of him taking the money and all that, but yeah. I had actually seen this deal of guy actually tell you what happened and how they had made the script, and then he went and made his own and took the funds. So. Yeah. Probably that's the one thing I took away as like, because I had this image of Sembene as this great person, and I feel the documentary pretty much be that, you know, how everyone is just praising him and everything, but see, this other side of him was also interesting, and it kind of, I won't say it dulled his legacy in my eyes, but mm-hmm. it's like a dent, like you realize these people want as, they were flawed individuals, as much as they're geniuses and legends in their own right, they're also very flawed individuals. Gary, your word. Mine is just a quick one. From the from what from his, I'm uh, more interested in more of origins of something. So like what created the man with all these contradictions. I realized that time when he what when he broke his back. Yeah. yeah. The six months in between the hospital hospital bed. I think 
even enhanced the, the ability to observe. Now, he, since he was no longer participating, there was, there was a lot of noise. So he got time to actually focus on real issues, yeah. which are even what enhanced his drive yeah. to make him the legendary filmmaker he is right now. Okay, uh, my thoughts would be uh, I don't I I kind of disagree with I got a different reaction compared to Timothy where knowing that he was an imperfect person made me like him more and made me understand his films more and see how his mind actually was what was affecting how he makes his films which was very inspiring and the way he was such a political activist and he wanted to give this vision of what Africa is, that's something, it kind of even shows the importance of film as a whole, it shows why it's an important industry to have, because you need people to know these things, and it's an easy medium, because like he was writing books before, and he was unable to reach people that way, it shows the reach that cinema has, how good it would be for Uganda, to, for Africa and Uganda as a whole, to have a great cinematic world also, it would be really nice, it was interesting to see no, yeah just one, like one yeah yeah we're, yeah we're talking about uh again yeah tip tip he said yeah it was like slight, he said it was slightly lessened like he's like no no it's still, i think his personality like the aura i i is yeah it's like i mean yeah, yeah but his yeah. legacy still stands but yeah the aura of the man i think yeah the kind of noise he wasn't yeah good. so yeah so i i felt that way when i first sort of watch this this kid talking about how this guy he looked up to had stolen money from him. Then what follows that up is like this uh, quote where Semben is like, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be the best <laughs> in Africa. So it's like, don't try to beat Semben at his own game, do something better. <laughs> so I, I and, and for me, that, that, admira- that admiration for him skyrocketed after that line. Because he had that fiery determination. He's like, yeah, I will screw you over to get my film made. And he was, for me, it was kind of that, like, that's what it takes to get a film made. In this. So it's like, you either beat me or you don't. Yeah, I understand. And, yeah, he, and, and yeah, even in that quote, he said he wanted to stand as an example to younger filmmakers. So for me, it was more of a harsh lesson. I know, yeah, he was, he was acting selfishly. But it had that weird, he said it was a mind of contradictions, yeah. it had that weird subtext to it where it was like this sort of harsh lesson. Yeah. He, he, he's one of those filmmakers, he's one of those rare filmmakers who as he gets older, he doesn't lose his edge, yeah, which is yeah. inspiring as well. Yeah. And it seems a shame that, you know, something we've all been discussing constantly since we started this was there's no one quite like him. He pushed others to do better and not be exactly like him. Yeah. And yet, you're not getting this culture emerging where there's plenty of different filmmakers competing to better each other. There always seems to be just that one African filmmaker at that one time everyone talks about, and then it moves on to the next, and then the next, as opposed to everyone at the same time. No, but again, I, I feel uh, with him having the title of the father of African cinema, mm. again, I feel, as you said, again, he was a man of contradictions. Again, I feel... A lot of the stuff probably was preaching against, mm. you know, uh, dictatorial regimes and all that stuff, and having this one guy at the top, yeah. which is the same thing in most African countries. I felt he basically did that in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, so that was my only, I think, beef with that. Well, I felt the, he was the truth of the matter is, in the same documentary, he did deny that title of the father of Africa. Yeah, yeah, he did. He didn't like it. When they questioned him, he was very um, adamant, very 
opposed to it because he believed he didn't invent anything, which is true. Yeah. He didn't put out anything new. He's he did. just a man who was working. He did because he put out like the first sub-Saharan African film. So obviously, because most of most of the times these names you don't give it to yourself, like Pope give it to you. Yeah, and I feel like him knowing like he's in this position whereby he's respected as the first African person to be on the, the jury of Cannes and all that. Mm. I feel probably obviously I understand maybe Camp Tiaroy maybe he had to do what he had to do. He had made a movie and I don't know, was it ten years or something? Years, yeah, so I understand that but I feel like in general but there should be a lot idea, more proteges who are just as well known as him because when you see a person like uh, uh, even Mambeti you hear a person like Bekolo talk about him as being this influential person who really guided him, but I didn't. Re- I, I saw that with uh, was it Boris Diop or something. He said, "Yeah, this person encouraged me to read. We all read his books, mm. but in the follow through, like I didn't really see anyone else say, you know, he he propped us up to this particular." We're demanding level. too much from a normal human being who will be flawed yeah. whatever <laughs> way. He's not going to be this man we thought was guiding the Africans. I feel there was a lot of uh, pressure yeah. on Sam Ben because I, I think one thing that can't be underestimated is that arguably with Baram Soret and Lenoir de uh, Black Girl, without him, African cinema wouldn't have been as strong as it was as early on. So he's not just got to make a film. Arguably, he's making the first truly sub-Saharan African film without interference from colonialists. And I think we've got to remember the historical context. He's not a man who is obsessed with his own legacy or the pressure is on him to be that one African filmmaker. But he had to be as ruthless as he was to get a truly African film made and to represent his people as opposed to the image that the French, that the British, that all the others uh, had put out there in the world. One thing I said to Sharon a while ago is there was the, uh, the, the Bantu cinema educational experiment where the British in South Africa, along with missionaries, were producing a series of informational films uh, and screening them to Africans, but putting forward a certain viewpoint of Africans are inferior we Europeans need to educate them. So Sam Ben was up against a lot to break through that barrier. And just the fact the film exists, whether you like it or not, is a milestone. Because when Black Girl came out, it showed that there was no going back. The thing I want to talk about, though, is his... Okay, they said um, Camp de Arroy was his most controversial movie. I disagree. In the current environment, I think Chedo, what do you call Chedo? Chedo. Yeah, Chedo. Would probably be his most controversial film currently because it was criticizing Islam, which is the predominant religion in Africa. Yes. And in the current... It's the biggest population now. Yes, the biggest population is Islam. And in the current environment, politically, even in the world, to criticize Islam... Yeah. From an African perspective, is an extreme. <laughs> I, I can't even underestimate how bad yeah. this would come off to anyone. Yeah. So even in the current environment, if a person like this was to release this scale of a movie, yeah, it would it wouldn't be received well. 
even abroad, even in France, where it took them ten years to re- to <laughs> receive Abdiaray, or in his own hometown of Senegal, nowhere. So a guy like this, <laughs> to me, comes off. Um, it seems like he has a penchant for pissing off people. He, he was he was on a mission to to piss off as many people as he could. And whether he had a point or not, that's up to the viewer. But it's what's being said. He was a anti-censorship, which is being very much imposed on people today. Censorship is a thing now. You have to be in a certain lane. You have to be in a certain way. You have to be, you have to follow the path. Not just out there, even in African film, it's still very much imposed. Recently in Uganda, wasn't there a, a person who put in a, a, a homosexual play and was exiled yeah. recently? Yeah. It was like a year or two ago. So a guy like this, he's relevant, isn't the word, he's constant. Yeah. He's very important to remember yeah. that you're going to only celebrate them when they're gone. I have a question for uh, all five of you, and I'm curious about this. Uh, as you know, regular cinema-going Africans, who do you think today? Who do you think is a filmmaker who is closest to Sam Ben in terms of prominence, in terms of being controversial, in terms of always sort of pushing the boundaries? Do you think there's anyone close to what Sam Ben was currently working in African cinema? Uh, I think the person who I've already cited again, I would say, okay, maybe scores have probably read a lot of his his material and all, but I would say again, Bekolo, just because his controversial okay. in the way that again I was going to bring this up that, as you can see, Sam Ben's earlier films uh, they were very much like the neorealism films of Italy. I think maybe as I said yesterday, because of the way they were being shot, it was yeah. is uh, getting stock film from his friends and all that. Yeah, but then I think the person I've seen now is Bekolo because Sembeni, as you said, you can still see his shadow over a lot of African stuff. Like, it's still the same style. Everyone has that. Most filmmakers have that neo-realist style with their films. But a person like Bekolo is more more interested in genre, you know. So I feel that's a, something that's different because most of the African films we saw growing up, especially in Hollywood stuff, mm. would be like <laughs> these morality stories and all that. Yeah. But then seeing someone now like Bekolo who makes a film about vampires, but like in an African context, is still very interesting. So I feel that's the person. Yeah, I know he's from an older generation because his first film was like 93. Yeah, and that's a bit depressing. As I was saying, there's only the old, in Africa, there's the old filmmaker and the young filmmaker. <laughs> there's no in between. Yeah. Mm. So. I would go with the guy of Timbuktu and Bamako. Ah, Sisako. Actually, Sisako, Sisako is about really good. something. So yeah, I can't Abderrah- say his Abderrahman. name. Yeah. Yes, I would, that guy, is, he's doing really good, yeah. Timbuktu is amazing, but yeah. Marco is very similar to yeah. what uh, yeah, yeah, Ben was well. doing, and yeah. you could, I feel like he was inspired by him, I don't yeah. know if he has ever said it or not, but he is the guy right now. I, 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 I concur with that 100% because I saw Timbuktu, <laughs> and that was an amazing movie, and was also doing what Chile did, being critical of something that oh, no one else is being critical I about, <laughs> religion in general, yeah. Islam in specific, mm-hmm. but because it's the dominant religion in Africa, it's the equivalent of being critical of Christianity in America. Mm. That's, that's, that's the perspective people have to keep in mind. So I agree 100% with what you said, Sharon, yeah. 
Someone else I was going to bring up, um, and I talked to Sharon about this, was uh, the filmmaker from uh, Cote d'Ivoire called uh, Roger Nwan Mabala, who did a film called Adangaman, and another film called uh, Nom de Christ, which, which is uh, very heavily critical of uh, religion as well. And Adangaman addresses slavery, but from the African perspective of King Adangaman, who uh, did slave raids and uh, sold off fellow Africans to the Europeans. And I th it's a real shame that Mabala has not really made a lot of films since Adangaman, which was about 17 years ago now. And I feel he's another African filmmaker who has the, the, the eloquence and the anger of Sam Ben, but is hardly talked about because he doesn't have a lot of films to his name. Yeah, I think that's the case with a lot of African filmmakers because let's even look at the most influential ones like Sam Ben. He, he had the gap of 10 years between, I think, Chedo and Camp Tiaroy. Mm. Then you look at the Mambetis, all those who had... I don't think more than 10 films. Like, they even had short films, like, later on in their careers, they had to make short films to kind of yeah. tell their stories. So there's really that problem of, like, when you're young, you may be hot, yeah, you make, like, your two films, you win your few awards. After that, the support doesn't come, you know. I don't know, maybe circumstances. The, the, there's a very big gap in the way films are made here. Yeah, even the influential people yeah. don't get to make a movie every two years, like, says, Scorsese, you get, so... There's that, I think that's, that creates that vacuum of, again, analyzing African films. There's no one who is as prolific or consistent as, say, the more mainstream Western filmmakers. It's interesting you bring up Scorsese, who... Yeah. I, is everyone here aware of the African Film Heritage Project he just launched? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's great that there's someone as prominent as Scorsese, not just in the West, but over the world, who is a big fan of some Ben, and particularly a fan of Black Girl. And I just think it's a shame that we have to rely on someone of that stature to get African cinema even mentioned or heard of in the mainstream. Yeah. Is it because of him that a bunch of people just started watching Black Girl? Because there was a phase where almost everyone was just watching Black Girl. Mm. I think it was because he pushed it. No, but he really does, because I also watched uh, Yelin, but then the copy of Yelin that I watched had Scorsese oh, introducing yeah. the film, uh, was it? I, know, I think it was Tuki Buki mm -hmm. by Mambeti. Oh, so the beginning has basically Scorsese mm. trying to, like, I think he was just promoting it as a like, small clip before the film. So it's good, yeah. I think it's someone who really pushes for cinema yeah. in general. In general, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's good to have such people, again, who are in high places it's trying to prop up to other regions of filmmaking. Yeah. Do you hear this? Scorsese talked about Yelene. Yeah. I've loved that movie yeah. ever since I could remember. Suleiman yeah. Sisse. Yeah. Sisse, yeah. Let's talk about Black Girl, which was his first feature film. Yeah. yeah, the others were shorts before he did Black Girl, and it was it came out in 1966, and it's about this girl called Duana. Is that the way they? Duana. Something like that. The pronunciation is weird, and it's set in post-colonial Senegal, and this lady just is 
getting she gets work to work for two French a French couple to be their nurse, and they tell her she could go to the to French with them, but her, and in her anticipation she expects it to be really glamorous and enjoyable. You know this vision that Africans have of the West, but it turns out to be hell. So we're going to talk about that film. I think I would want to start. Yeah. Um, I really like this film. It's actually my favorite out of what I've seen of his, which is very little though. Yeah. But this film struck me from the beginning because I especially loved even what the main character looked like. The way they were speaking about how uh, Africans got to see someone that was familiar. This woman is so familiar. And it's one of those toned down, it's not a heavy, it's so toned down, you're just watching her walk through Dakar and you're really interested to just see her being. Yes. It was so fascinating. And how his movies are about what is on ground in African societies is exactly what this film is about. People's admiration for the West and getting there and it turns out to be complete hell. Yeah. Which is something that fascinatingly still happens today. Oh, yeah. this, it was even <laughs> in the newspapers in Uganda recently. A bunch of girls had gone to the West to be housemaids. And it turned out completely bad and they were basically slaves and the embassy had to try and go and pick them up from there. Yeah. Those are things that are still happening today. So looking at something and it being so realistic, that movie is heavy on realism, which yeah. is so fascinating. These are things we only see in, in low in the indie movies. Yeah. You know? budget filming. Yes, like they get they, he was able to do that and you're fascinated by the year this was made. Ah, it, it was completely great. I love this movie so much. And how it turns out, the symbolism that's in the film, we have to talk about that. First, yes. <laughs> Joel, I think you should first go. Awesome. Uh, so Black Girl is my second favorite, very close second <laughs> favorite. Uh, I like Borom Soret just a little bit more. But uh, those two films are basically my favorite uh, Sembene, era of Sembene. Because they're very heavy on uh, subtext. When you when you go further into like Hala and what's that? Camp, Camp Tierra. Yeah. yeah, when he went to those, he becomes a little more well, heavy-handed yeah. yeah. with his head, with his message. But with Borom Saret and like uh, Black Girl, they sort of take you off guard. Like, because you're sort of just watching this regular story and then you get hit with messages, you know, in small bite sizes. And I appreciate stuff like that. Uh, now, Black Girl was great. Uh, yeah, you mentioned symbolism. That's, I think, mostly why I loved it. Yes. The, the whole thing with the mask oh, that was, was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know if I interpreted it wrong, but yeah, the whole <laughs> the, the, the way the way I understood Black Girl was uh, it, like the whole thing was like about like African identity, because she sort of like hands over the mask freely to these white people. It goes along with them, and then things don't turn out to be the way that they were. And then the rest of the movie is about her sort of taking her identity back, and I love that. The ending, I was like, no. <laughs> I, did, I didn't, well, that's the one thing where I didn't feel it was necessary. I loved the ending. I, like, it, did, it didn't make sense for me, because at first it was like this uplifting story, like, I'm going to take my identity back, and I'm going to go back to Dakar. That's what I was visualizing, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's gone. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit, and I was filled with all this anger and all this rage. Maybe, maybe that was his intention. Yeah. But yeah, and I, but yeah, but yeah, if the the payoff was that final scene with the little boy following the 
the uh, white man around with that sort of it had the sort of white guilt yeah, white guilt yeah, yeah. connotation attached it was very haunting it was a very haunting scene I really loved it yeah Black Girl was a phenomenal phenomenal movie I think as far as feature films that's my favorite of oh, it was absolutely fantastic <laughs> yeah Oscar? Uh, just before I give my thoughts on the film, uh, I'm probably reaching here, but has everyone here seen the new Black Panther trailer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. <laughs> There's this one shot where Michael B. Jordan's character is going to break in somewhere and he wears uh, the tribal mask. And I wonder if maybe this is Ryan Coogler doing some little tribute <laughs> to Black Girl. I'm probably reaching. <laughs> Probably. <yeah. laughs> Probably. Um, so, I also prefer Borom Soret to Black Girl, although I still enjoy Black Girl. And probably the reason is the camera work in Black Girl feels a lot less kinetic and a lot less dynamic. It's not a very cinematic film. It, it feels very obvious as opposed to Borom Soret that this is coming from a filmmaker who was previously a novelist. So it's a film that's more about message and more about dialogue than telling the story through images and framing shots. But what really shines through is the acting, as well as um, the the voiceover work. And I, I feel... I feel that the simplicity of it does benefit it in some way. It feels quite similar as well as Italian neorealism, which was mentioned. It also feels like French New Wave to some extent. So it's quite obvious that Saint-Ben is well-educated in cinema, which helps him make a better film. There's a lot of flaws to it, such as I think Joanna's suicide is very sudden. It just comes out of nowhere. It doesn't shock you it just sort of it lets you down a little bit because there's no build-up to it but then i feel the ending just makes up for any flaws that we've seen earlier on in the film i find the ending very powerful it stays with you it, it's a statement everything about this film as opposed to borum Soret, which is just a story told very well Everything about this is a statement, it's an announcement that St. Ben has arrived, that African cinema has arrived, and although Black Girl is sort of rough around the edges in many ways, and it feels more theatrical than it does cinematic, it's very obvious from the start that St. Ben's a very confident director. Even if the film doesn't quite live up to his ambitions, it's very clear that he's achieved everything he set out to do with this film. Hey, remember me? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about um, Black Girl, which I watched this morning. So it's very fresh in my mind. I'm going to disagree with a lot of what has been said before me already, uh, particularly concerning the suicide of the protagonist. Uh, I I remember halfway through watching this movie, I said. The only way this thing ends is in a triple homicide. <laughs> okay, it ending in a suicide was like a cutback. I was, I, was, I, was, I was fine with that. The way the way I saw this movie is as the documentary put it, what we were just talking about before, is this movie was trying to show us uh, uh, 
the perspective of an African girl through the African girl. Mm. We see her, there, there's a lot of shots of just her face alone. Yeah. And she's beautiful and she's amazing and she's always dressed the way she wants to. She went to France to see the shops, as she kept saying, mm-hmm. the shops, the watch, she wants to send pictures back to, uh, to Dakar to make everyone feel jealous. She wanted to send money back to her mother who wrote a letter to her, allegedly, mm-hmm. about her being sick. She, she, she wanted to be in France, but France to her was the kitchen. The living room, the washing room, that's that. For months on end. It, 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 it made sense to me that eventually her leaving France would be more of a metaphor than reality. And also reality in a sense, because she you know, killed herself. So she left. When, when she does leave, well she leaves her, 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 her tormentors. The torment of have having had her around this long, <laughs> which is the ultimate revenge, I think. Mm-hmm. I liked I liked Black Girl yeah. because I liked it a lot because it was more focused on her than anything else. Mm-hmm. It was more focused on her than her boyfriend when she was in the car. Mm-hmm. It was more focused on her than that kid or her mother when she was there. She was more focused on her when she was employed in France. Even when her mistress was showing her the river and and calm and whatever, it was always about her. So the the camera was, if if she's going to experience the kitchen, the the living room, the washing room, you're going to experience the kitchen, the living room, the washing room. If all she's seeing is the mask, that's the only decoration I saw on the wall. <laughs> I couldn't see anything else, to be honest. I I'm pretty sure there are pictures, but yeah. that's the only thing I remember. Because that's probably the only thing she remembered. It was very well done. I've only watched two of his movies, this and Come to Detroit. Yeah. I think this is one of his better ones. Okay. I just want to give a seed. Everything almost fine. I was just going to say that the end for me, okay, not the end, Do You Want Us Death? I wasn't too bothered because I felt it could go very many ways, as you said, a triple homicide, suicide, all that. But then, again, adding to what Sharon said before, I feel her suicide again basically represents a kind of suicide when people usually go out looking for work, you know, from Africa, for out of for travel there. It's, you make money that when you tra- change it to like Uganda shillings, a lot of money, yeah. So, mm-hmm. but then the end, it's basically like suicide because you're in this constant mm-hmm. state of you know slavery. So, I felt. The suicide in that basically represented this kind of her going there with this dream and in actuality she was just basically giving up herself to a life she, she hadn't really thought she was going to live. So I like the, what you said about like we're in constant slavery. It just was weird that they had just come from being colonized mm-hmm. yeah. and then you're still being yeah. fascinated by the white man who has just come from oppressing you. That, that <laughs> stuff just is really painful to see and of course, this is something the post-colonial world is still going through right now, yeah. which really sucks. I don't know, though. It doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> seem... <laughs> All I'm saying is it doesn't seem irrational to me to right. still be fascinated by a motor vehicle when all your life you've been propagating by your feet. Okay? That's not irrational. That's natural to me. So, yeah, of course, if they tell you there's this place where nothing... 
is this is the way you see it. This landscape of hills and valleys and lakes that's not there anymore. It's, it's towers, it's, it's stuff you can't even imagine. I want to go but there too. It doesn't translate to you having a better life there. No, it doesn't. But I would still want to go there. For and example, stay there. No, she went there. She didn't want to stay there. She, she killed herself. Did. She exactly, but she wanted yeah. to stay there when she went there. Uh, when what? she just touched down, you mean? Maybe. As in, well, she that was her. I after think after she, wanted she entered to, there, yeah. her reality became okay. yeah, the kitchen, mm-hmm. the living room, the washing room. That was her reality. Yeah. Her dream was the place. And that dream exists. I mean, uh, you've seen more of the worlds with the aliens showing up and all that. <laughs> Have they been doing something more creative? Along the lines of, we'll take you to our alien world where <laughs> things are unusual. We'll be in Guardians of the Galaxy, basically. <laughs> uh, I bet they'd have gotten a lot of people along, too. It's just that uh, you go there, your reality becomes your subservient to the master race or the, or the people who are better than you. And your only choice is either to try your best to go back home, which you can't, or to kill yourself in a bathtub, <laughs> which she did. Which still makes it sad. <laughs> it's sad, yes, but it's not irrational, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah I don't think the movie really shies away from that particular point. Because I like, I like the whole visual, she had this beautiful view yeah. outside yeah, so her window. She was in which, which town was it? Which French, some famous she French town? She was in the Riviera. Yeah, it, 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 it was on TV. Yeah. Yeah, but then she, she she was okay. It's like an outside looking in, yeah. but she was like on the inside yeah. looking out. Yeah. But she could never go there. Yeah, she was she actually there, but she couldn't. Yeah, so it was like very symbolic of this constant barrier that yeah. was still there. Like as much as we want to be yeah, as want part to. of, there's still this big old barrier. I think what's very important uh, to remember is even throughout all this, uh, Joanna isn't just a victim. She's very, very defiant, even into her last act of committing a suicide. She's she's subjected to this, but she doesn't just uh, put up with it lightly. And it's a very witty film. I always found myself laughing at her and how she just completely uh, she just completely ignores Madame um, and doesn't you know won't be taken for granted. So even though she's stuck inside the apartment and. That's her image of France, is the the kitchen, the living room, her bedroom. She doesn't take it lying down. I feel that's very telling that this is Sam Ben's film. And the whole thing feels a little bit semi-autobiographical because it's about an African who goes to France and realises things aren't exactly as they had hoped it would be. So you could argue Joanna is Sam Ben in some way. Uh, Oscar. Yes. What's your favorite Sam Bene film? I would probably say, from what I've seen, Boram Sarez. I haven't seen any of his, unfortunately, and a lot of the reason for that is it, it's it's almost impossible to find African on DVD. Whether you have to get it in from the US, which I've had to do with, for example, Dangaman, I had to get it shipped over from the United States. Um, it, I would I would have been watching more of his stuff a lot earlier if it was readily available for example just uh, i went to a went to a dvd store only yesterday and they have a huge world cinema section i'm looking at the middle east i'm looking at south america i'm looking at spain i'm looking at china korea and not a single african film apart from timbuktu which some people would argue um because it's from north africa they, they threw it in the middle east section 
So Co produced, yes. Yeah, so. That's one of the things that great tragedy of African film mm. is that it's not known anywhere, including in Africa. <laughs> which yeah. you'd think <laughs> you'd think would be doing great with it by a distribution, but nah. Well I think it's I, I think it's great that um Samba launched this Kickstarter campaign and he has arranged for the last few days for Sam Ben to be screened all over the continent. And I think he's now trying to get some screenings going in the diaspora as well. And it's very important. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's still on Vimeo to stream for free. Uh, it's on Netflix in the US. And I've been trying to refer as many friends of mine who are into cinema to go and watch it on Netflix as well. Uh, the documentary, Sam Ben, I mean, not Black Girl, unfortunately. And again, you know, we're making some inroads, Scorsese and the African Film Heritage Project. I just wanted to give it a quick shout out to a company who distributed Sam Ben and also distribute uh, and hold academic screenings of some of Sam Ben's films here in the UK called Aya Distribution. So it's a very small company, but they're doing great work trying to get British people to see African cinema. Does anyone know where Ugandans can find this? We can't get these things anywhere, Oscar, by the way. There's nowhere. Absolutely it is nowhere. completely inaccessible. The technology overtook Africa in more senses than one <laughs> you get. So even our own stories bypassed us. We can't, you know, yeah, it used to be a fire, you know, yeah, fireplace. <laughs> fireplace and it's an oral tradition. Now it's cinematic, and Jesus Christ, they help me if I know how to deal with <laughs> <laughs> I think it says a lot that it's just as difficult to find a lot of African cinema in the UK or in the US as it is in Uganda, regardless of legal downloads or the internet or getting it on DVD. There's still a lot of work to be done with getting these films out there, regardless of where it is in the world. Yeah, also, I, sorry, I, I feel it would be bad for you to go before we ask you, because uh, you're a fan of who killed Captain Alex. Big fan. Big fan. You're the one who's a yeah. fan. I knew you wanted yeah. this. Yeah, so uh, just, uh, what are your views on the film? What's, how do you view it? Because I'm sure our experiences viewing <laughs> the movie are very different. So this is going to, it's going to seem a bit silly to say, but I, I do feel who killed Captain Alex is probably the most important aspect African film since Black Girl. Uh, that, that's my view. <laughs> <laughs> I tell her that every day. Right? <laughs> because this is, uh, this is the African film that most people know outside of Africa and inside Africa for better or for worse. I mean, personally, I think it's a great, fun film. I find uh, Nabwana's story and his work ethic inspirational. There's filmmakers all over the world who could learn a, a lot from what he's doing with Wakaliwood. Um, for no money whatsoever, yeah. uh, people, uh, a lot of people call him the African Tarantino uh, here in the UK. <laughs> but I, I, again, this is this is the first African film that's tr truly benefited from the internet, because if it weren't for the internet, nobody outside of his own village would know about who killed Captain Alex. And I'm pretty sure we still don't actually know who killed Captain Alex, but... <laughs> <laughs> no one does. <laughs> Just a few stuff about like, Isaac Nabwana. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've had, I've had the opportunity to have one conversation with him. Mm -hmm. 
and he has the most fiery determination I've ever seen in a human <laughs> being. Because he told us he made a feature film for 7,000 shillings, which is like, what, like $3? $2. $2, <laughs> yeah, he made a feature film for $2. Yeah, he made a movie for 7 bucks. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. Right. so the, the way he talks is like, he doesn't care, no money, all the money in the world, I'm going to make films, it does not matter to me. So he was up there on a panel with filmmakers who were like, oh, we don't have enough money to yeah. do this. And, and they have to do that. grants in yeah, and he thousands was like, of dollars. And he was like, I don't care. I wouldn't make movies anyway, <laughs> whatever the scenario. And he had like uh, some words about, uh, what was that? That idiot mean film. The recent uh, one. State Research Bureau. No, no, no. The last King of Scotland. Yeah, Last King of Scotland. What did he say? Oh, he was saying how it was a crap movie. He was like, I wish you'd given me that money. <laughs> They've written a much better script, much better film. But he like. For a suit, Yeah, but he had, like, if, if you saw it in his eyes, he had that he actual. He meant it. He had that confidence, like. I know how to say that. Yeah, actually, lived through that shit. Yeah, yeah. I remember an interview of him on BBC. <laughs> yeah, he was saying uh, he does movies like this, that uh, whole superficial violent thing. Yes, because he has seen real violence and he doesn't want to ever commit that to film because Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's messed up. I, I kind of respect that. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic. Yeah. I would love to give Nabwana um, a million dollar budget just to see what he does because it would probably end up being better than yeah. uh, the Hollywood action films <laughs> right now. Okay. Anyway, all hail Isaac Nabwana. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, with you being a, a film scholar, and again, you said you work in distribution, film distribution. Like, what do you think people in Nigeria got right that people in probably other countries in Africa haven't mm. nailed yet? Well, this is a very important point. And uh, I was talking to a, a filmmaker over in America about this as well when I was discussing uh, the paper and African cinema in general. I think to a large extent, the Nigerian film industry has understood the business part of show business. And this is something I, f I feel a lot of African filmmakers could learn from their American counterparts. Is it, they can't just make the art, unfortunately. They, they need to make art that has a universal appeal, regardless of the language. So, for example, uh, China is making a lot of inroads in Africa in terms of finance, in terms of industry, in terms of manufacturing. And China is about to become, if it isn't already, the world's biggest film markets and I would hope that the cooperation between uh, Africa and China would eventually extend to an increase in in video on demand an increase in investment in African cinemas so it becomes something that Africans are more willing to invest their their money into in terms of something to go and see with the family with friends on their own so I feel if if African filmmakers from around the continent look to Nigeria in terms of their business model and how to make money, then that's the moment when African cinema becomes more prominent over the world. I don't feel we've yet had, with the exception of Who Killed Captain Alex, that one big hit. In the same way, for example, in China, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon became the highest grossing uh, foreign language film at the American box office. And it made, I think, something like 250 million. It was nominated for all kinds of Oscars. A couple of years ago, you had a French film called Amour, 
which was nominated for Best yeah. Film at the Oscars, not just Best Foreign Language Film. So I feel Africa is yet to have that global crossover film. I don't know who will create it. I don't know when it's going to come about, but I would hope it would be soon. Yeah, but uh, I would say... Uh, be me. I would say... Uh, <laughs> Uh, like like a filmmaker like uh, Sir Neil Blomkamp, mm. who made the film like yep. District Nine, he's South African, and though yeah Peter Jackson I think was one of the producers of the film. Yeah, there are many produced from like other countries pitching, but would you say District Nine is like an African movie with crossover appeal? Because again, it deals with themes like apartheid mm. and all that. Would you say it's an African film, or that's more again Hollywood just setting up? It's a tricky one. Uh, for the record, I, I absolutely love District Nine. I think it's one of the best science fiction films ever made. I think Blomkamp's a fantastic director. It does feel like an odd sort of hybrid, and unfortunately, that seems like the exception rather than the rule. But I think what I think what District Nine's success shows. And you look at the most successful films coming from China, coming out of America. I think the best way forward is whatever that big crossover African film is going to be, it has to be genre. So whether that's a, a sci-fi or a horror, you look at the success of Get Out all over the world. That succeeded because it's a genre film. People are more likely to go and see sci-fi or fantasy or horror than they are a drama, however good that is. So you the color purple <laughs> well again you know you have films like the color purple or blood diamond uh, uh there's certain films from the west about africa but they're not being made by africans and with africans so i think uh, whatever that you know again uh, who captain alex one of the reasons it's a huge success is people love action movies so it's a genre film yeah. and that's something nabwana understands yeah, that's it basically from me. It's my own part of this is the Timothy show. <laughs> I know, this is a red pill. <laughs> watch the Venice films, whoever is listening. Watch Black Girl. African films. All yeah. of them. All of them in general. The Sisako yeah, movies, Adangaman, <laughs> everything. Look for them wherever you can and try to watch them. They're all worth checking out. Okay. I've been here with Joel. Do you have anything you have to plug? Anything you're doing which you want people to see? No. Joel's just Joel. Nick? Hey, man. Hey, man. Timothy, whose first film is coming out this year. It's yeah, it's just a short film, man. Don't buy the hype. Don't buy the hype. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a short film. Yeah. Oh, and Gary, who's an award-winning wow. filmmaker here. He's <laughs> actually editing my film, so... Yep, he's edi- he had his own film last year, which won awards. He's a big deal. And uh-huh. me, the host, Sharon... Now, Oscar, I want you to also say what you do before we close. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to check out the African Cinema subreddit. There's about seven of us who run the site on a, a daily basis. You can visit us at reddit.com slash r slash African Cinema. And uh, pretty soon I'll be hoping to publish publicly my academic paper on the relationship between African and African-American cinema, which we've discussed briefly. Thanks, Oscar, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, guys, you've been listening to Cinema Until. Thanks for listening.